I submit to you that if we really look at God's heart and if we really take a moment to consider his love for people, it's rather incredible. And that's kind of what this series has been all about. The Bible truly is an account of a holy and mighty and awesome God after creation loving on people. And you always see it. It is God who initiates the contact with people. It is God whose heart is so big for people that he starts this. And he 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 works continually through this book. You, you read about this. It's a story of a God, a great God, reaching down to us and loving on us in so many ways. And we're going to um, look at yet another wonderful account of God's heart for people. Bible, the ultimate expression, the Bible tells us of God's love for us is is given in Jesus Christ. It's the fact that Jesus left heaven and came here and he became, if you will, God in the flesh. That's what the Bible tells us to show us what God is like. And so as we read together, we're going to look at the Lord Jesus encounter with yet another human being. And we're going to see some things about that encounter that reflect to us God's heart. For people. So let's go to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And I'll read 16 verses. Today I'm reading an account. The account from the New King James Version. I usually use the New International Version. I I like this rendering so much. It's a reliable translation. So from the New King James. A little different than the NIV. But very good. After this there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water, moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk and immediately the man was made well took up his bed and walked and that day was the sabbath the jews therefore said to him who was cured it is the sabbath it's not lawful for you to carry your bed he answered them he who made me well said to me take up your bed and walk then they asked him who is the, the man who said to you take up your bed and walk but the one who was healed did not know who it was for jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. In his book, Growing Strong in the Seasons of Life, Chuck Chuck Swindoll wrote the following illustration. I love this illustration. I think it's purported to be true. 
A missionary was sitting at her second story window when she was handed a letter from home. As she opened the letter, a crisp new $10 bill fell out. She was pleasantly surprised. But as she read the letter, her eyes were distracted by the movement of a shabbily dressed stranger down below, leaning against a post in front of the building. And she couldn't get him off her mind. Thinking that he might be in greater financial stress than she, she slipped the bill into an envelope on which she quickly penned the words, Don't despair. She threw it out the window and the stranger below picked it up and read it and looked up and smiled and he tipped his hat and then he went away. The next day she was about to leave the house when a knock came to her door and she found that same shabbily dressed man smiling as he handed her a roll of bills. When she asked what they were for, he replied, that's the 60 bucks you won, lady. Don't despair, paid five to one. This sweet little missionary was genuinely addressing in her mind what she thought was a man's despair. And um, somehow he got 60 bucks from it. But she was trying to offer a ray of hope to someone she saw who was hurting. Now, many of us in this room have made similar efforts. We've seen somebody that we thought was in despair. We've seen somebody who was in trouble or struggling, and we've had some um, opportunity to show them a little kindness. And many of us have done, tried to do something to relieve some despair. And sometimes our best efforts actually have helped somewhat. And then sometimes it hasn't. And we've all felt that sting too, or many of us have. But I have no doubt that the crippled man, the invalid in our story, knew all too well what despair feels like. I hope that you don't, but chances are you do. Chances are somewhere along in your life, you know that that terrible feeling of just absolute abject despair. It's not a fun place to be. But for this man who was an invalid, he had been in his condition for 38 years. 38 years of being an invalid. 38 years without taking a step. 38 years of not having a a means and a way to make a living. A man, 38 years lying around on a mat. If a person would uh, break that down into days, it's 13,870 days. Day after day. 38 years. If a person were to count to 13,870 at a rate of one number per second, it will take you more than three and a half hours to just count that high. So it's a big number. I've been asserting to you the idea that Jesus shows us the heart of God. And he is God with human skin on. And I want to just kind of see what Jesus does when he sees this man who has been in despair for so long, and the Bible makes it clear, Jesus realized that he had been there a long time, 38 years. Now, as we read our scripture, this man certainly was not alone. As we read, he was 
in a big crowd, a multitude of people. This is a pretty uh, amazing story. And just may I just break in for a second to remind you, this is not a fairy tale. This is not embellished. These are historical events that happen. So as as foreign as some of this story will sound to you, this happened the way the Bible says it happens. I'm convinced that's true. They're at the gate, the sheep gate, near the sheep gate of Jerusalem, a big beautiful city, there by that gate, there was a pool that was named Bethesda. And something supernatural happened at this pool. It was an amazing thing because um, that is why the multitude was there. That's why they were present, all gathered around this pool. And historically, this is an amazing thing because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But apparently, an angel of the Lord would come to that pool and he would move the water around, stir the water. And the first person who made it into the pool would be healed of whatever infirmity they had. Now, if there were such a pool here in Northampton, I guarantee you all of Allentown, all of Allentown sick would come. They would come for miles. And with the, the ability to travel, they'd come from all over the place if there were such a pool. Can you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine how this works? I have to tell you that part of this story brings in some pretty horrible images for me. And here's, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, you don't like standing in long lines full of people. I hate that. I'm not comfortable in those long lines and it's not a lot of fun. I don't like traffic jams. I don't enjoy them at all. I don't know how people just deal with it day after day. For five years, I lived and ministered in, uh, inside the Washington Beltway. I had a house that was six miles from the door of the church. That's, that's where our house ended up being. And every day, one way, there were 28 traffic lights to negotiate for, in order for me to get to my house. If I wanted another route, I would have had to take the Beltway. That's called a parking lot. It was awful. So it, on, a, on a good day, when I was hitting my, green, uh, hitting my lights green, it still took me about 40 minutes to negotiate six miles. Day after day of that. Yuck. And I'm just one of those people that doesn't enjoy the large crowds. I don't do Black Friday sales. And I, God bless you if you do. But I'm not going to go and camp out in the cold. It's cold on Black Friday around here. I'm not going to go out there and stand in the middle of a parking lot to wait for a store to open so I can save a hundred bucks. No thanks. I'll enjoy myself and I'll save that hundred bucks somewhere else or, and, and, and just wait till I can afford that TV or, or computer or whatever, GPS, whatever it is that people want. I just don't like that experience. And the whole idea of having to wait, and this, this, when I'm looking at this and I'm reading this, that's the unpleasant experience that kind of comes to my mind when I'm seeing the, the, the account of this pool and a great multitude of people. I'm sure, as I said, it was very chaotic and difficult for the people who went there because the Bible tells us that there's a great number of people, a great multitude, and they're sick and blind and lame and paralyzed. It's because they, they had a chance at being healed. I guess if I had a disorder that wrecked my ability and opportunity to earn a living, kept me weak, debilitated, and kept me unable to do very much but lie around, maybe I would brave the crowds for a chance to be healed. But what a scene it must have been. Been when the waters would be stirred, the angel would come, 
in the midst of all of this, walks Jesus. And the Bible tells, and it appears at least, that he singled out this one man. It's interesting to me. There are a whole lot of unanswered questions for me in this story. And there are a whole lot of questions that I have in my mind anyway. I'm ADD. I, and, and let me tell you very quickly that I, I didn't know what I, that I was ADD until I was an adult. Back when I was a kid, if you were ADD, you were just called a bad kid and they beat it out of you. That's all. That's all that was about in school. They were allowed to hit you in school back then, man. And absolutely would hit you. And I saw a teacher go, rats, wish I was a teacher back then. I would have hit some kids there. Got some kids in mind. I wouldn't mind. But yeah, they had rulers and paddles and all that kind of stuff. And I got cracked, you know. But but all of that saying, in the way that my mind works is 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 a little different than most people, as you can tell. And I sit around and have all these questions. And one of the things I don't know is is why God works the way he does and how he works and why he picks certain people and why he heals here and he doesn't heal there. It's those kinds of things that I will wait, I guess, until I'm in heaven to be able to sit down with the Lord Jesus and he can explain to a guy that's not able to see all of this. So I readily admit that I don't all the time understand what Jesus does. But at any rate, Knowing that this man had been crippled and invalid for 38 years, Jesus walked through that tight crowd and negotiated all of that and made his way to this man. And now he is standing there in front of this man on a mat. And he looks that man in the eye and he says, do you want to be made well? Would you do me a favor and pause, hit the pause button for a second, freeze frame that? You have it. You see this man looking up into the face of Jesus right after Jesus has asked that question. I want you to hold that thought for just a moment. But at the moment that we have hit this pause button, the poor man crippled lying there in the multitude of other sick and infirm people did not know what we have the opportunity to understand in this story. As I so often had done before, and as I have already done for you, I remind you this isn't fiction. This happened. But this man didn't know who Jesus was. The Bible tells us that. He had no idea who was standing there asking him this question. I want to talk to you a little bit about the heart of God. And I want to try to help us understand a few things about when we reach a point of despair. Because I want to say something to you lovingly. If you're not in despair now, first of all, be thankful for that. But hang on. Your time is coming. We all go there. So hang on. There'll be grief in your life. There'll be pain in your life. In this world, you will have trouble. And you being a believer won't change that either. Okay? Just understand that there are moments when we all feel that hopeless, helpless feeling of despair. So I'm praying that something I say here today will be something you can draw back on. Maybe God will apply some of these principles to you and help you along the way. But this is a wonderful picture of the heart of our God. The first thing that I want to submit to you about God, and again, Jesus is God. Okay, understand that. He's representing God. He is God. He is the Son of God. He's divine. I want you to know that Jesus is present for the hopeless. Verses 1 through 6. There are times for all of us, as I said, that we feel like 
this hopelessness and this despair in a situation. It's no fun. And in those times, it's so easy for us to be so focused on what's wrong, we miss the presence of Jesus. Let me say that to you one more time. It's so easy to be focused on what is wrong when we are in despair that we miss the fact that Jesus is right there. He's right there and we miss him like all of the people there by the pool. It wasn't just this one man that did not recognize who Jesus was and what he was and what he was able to do. Nobody around the pool was coming to Jesus or crying out to Jesus that I can see. Nobody knew exactly who was there. And I need you to understand that we often, when we get in bad places like this and we feel despair, we often focus so hard on the enormity of our hurt that we forget that standing right there is the Son of God. God is there. That's his heart for people. He doesn't forget us. He doesn't reject us. He doesn't walk away. In fact, he's drawn to us when we are in heart and despair. A friend of mine once made a statement to me, an observation that I appreciate. He reminded me one day, God makes a distinction for his people in the Bible. And the Bible bears that out. I do know this, and I will say this to you, that God had made promises uh, to the believers, especially Jesus made these promises. And, And it's a distinction. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if he is your God, Jesus told his followers, if you follow him, I'll never leave you like orphans are left. I'll send to you my presence, my spirit. The Holy Spirit will be present in you. He told them that he would never leave them. He would never forsake them. He makes a distinction. If you are a child of God, he is present with you. And you can know that. If you're a believer, he is with you every moment of every day. Jesus is present with you. But let me tell you, even if you're not a believer, Jesus encounters you. He he steps up in moments. When you need him, I tell you today that others may not know how to help you. Others may not know what to do. And, and often that's awkward for people, isn't it? When when you see somebody just suffering and it's it's kind of awkward to walk into that place of suffering, seeing somebody on a bed of suffering. What words can you offer? What can you do? You you say things that, again, it feels a bit awkward. I'm so sorry you're, you're facing this. I'm so sorry you're going through this. And all, even for believers, as we sometimes pray with somebody who's going through a terrible time. I I still remember getting a phone call a few years back from the hospital. And it was a nurse that uh, knew me there, was working there, and say, Pastor Ken, is there any way that you can rush to the hospital, to the emergency room? A family needs you. And I said, absolutely. I jumped in my car. I didn't know this family. They didn't have anybody. They were um, an immigrant family. They, they had come from uh, Mexico, and their little boy, um, couple's little boy, been run over and killed by a car. And I walk into that situation and there's a lot of emotion of a course there is. And the despair is thick enough to cut with a knife. And I was able to offer very little from a human front. Very little except sympathy and empathy and prayer. 
And I will tell you that that's the situation often. And sometimes people shy away from people who are struggling, who are going through depression and despair. That happens. But I will tell you where other people, where people can't address it, Jesus knows exactly what to do for you. He knows how to address it. If people write you off, Jesus won't because he's like that. He comes to the hopeless and he brings hope into situations and he shows mercy to people every single day. This crippled man and all of the other sick and debilitated people did not realize just who it was who was in the midst of them. But there he was anyway. I believe he is drawn to our circumstances of difficulty and pain. Remember that he came to this world, a world full of brokenness, because he wanted to save us and he wanted to bless us. He came on his own volition. That is God's incredible heart for us. Jesus is present for the hopeless. Secondly, I want you to know Jesus is hope for the hopeless. As I mentioned, the man had been crippled for 38 years, 13,870 days. And Jesus walked up to him and initiated a conversation with him. As I said, he didn't know what the Lord had the power to do. He didn't recognize that standing right in front of him was the king of glory, the one present at creation and who created everything just by the power of his words. His not recognizing who Jesus was, his not realizing who Jesus was or what he could do did not change the fact that Jesus is and always will be the hope for the hopeless. And you need to know that Jesus will not diminish in his power if we don't understand. He will not diminish in his capacity even if we don't believe in him. Jesus is Jesus. So whatever situation that feels hopeless, we find ourselves in Jesus, is our hope. This isn't just preacherese to you today. Anyone with personal knowledge of who Jesus is and what he can do could stand up today and testify, this is the truth. Jesus is the hope. I need to tell you that. We live in a world that where people are very spiritually oriented. Do you know that even though there is a rise in atheism and, and some of that happening in our country, that the vast majority of human beings in the, on this planet have a spiritual mindset. They believe in a God. They believe in supernatural. They believe in something. Now, their God may not be our God, the real God, but they believe in that and they hope in that and they, 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 they desire to, for something supernatural, someone supernatural supernatural to to help them this should embolden believers to point to jesus christ because he is god he is the hope to this world and we as a church cannot forget gospel chapel that we have the opportunity to spread this beautiful message that jesus christ is hope for the broken jesus christ is hope for the hopeless one that's our job that's what we're here to do we're here to worship him we're here to glorify him and we're here to help the world understand that he is present today Jesus is alive. Jesus is well. Jesus is still working in the world. And we have this, this wonderful treasure in our earthen vessels to tell the world about. We can say that. And so, oh, how important it is. Swindoll wrote another book called Encourage Me. And in that book, there's a little excerpt I want to share with you. Your adversary would love for you to assume the worst about your situation. 
He would enjoy seeing you heave a sigh and resign yourself to the feelings of depression. However, it's been my experience that God is involved in any. I'm sorry, that when God is involved, anything can happen. The one who directed that stone between the Goliath's eyes and split the Red Sea right down the middle and leveled the wall around Jericho and brought his son back from beyond takes delight in mixing up the odds as he alters the inevitable by and bypasses the impossible. What a great quote. That's what God does. That's his heart. The blind songwriter Fanny Crosby put it another way. I love this. Chords that were broken will vibrate once more because of Jesus. Do you want to be made well? Let's unpause that scene now for a moment and play it in slow motion motion HD, if you will. We're back to that scene of Jesus standing in front of the man, looking down into his eyes, the man looking up at him, and he asks the question, do you want to be made well? I'll tell you, I found an excellent resource, and I don't want to take credit for it. Some of this I'm about to share. Um, I'm not this smart, but but I'm going to share this as a resource. It was a a blessing, and I didn't want to take credit. But here it is. Jesus is standing above this man, lying on this bed of suffering. And he looks this man straight in the eyes and he asks him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be renewed? Do you want to be restored? Do you want to be pure? Do you want to recover? Do you want to get strong? Do you want to mend? Do you want to overcome? Do you want to start over? Do you want to be free? Would you like to flourish? Do you want to shine again? Do you want to have joy again? Do you want to rise? Do you want to succeed? Would you like to soar? Do you want to thrive again? Do you want to matter again? Do you want to win? Do you want to triumph? The man looked back up at him. And he says, sir, I have no man to help me when I'm trying to get into the water after it's stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down ahead of me. And I want to share with you that he didn't maybe mean to do this, but this man was giving excuses. He had been in this condition for 38 years. 13,870 days he had been here. And sometimes this can happen for people. He was in the same condition, dealing with the same situation. And some people, I need you to hear me say this. Some people wait and wait and wait year after year, day after day. They're just lying there and they're waiting for something to happen for them. They're waiting for a miracle. They're waiting for others. They're waiting for some big event. That will make everything better. They're waiting for something to stir in their lives. 
There are some people in our society today that are waiting for President Obama to just fix things for him. They, they want that, the things that he has made promises to do. They want the help that he has promised to give them. They want the check or the phone or whatever it is, but they want it. And he may well be the man in the most powerful nation. And he may have this nation behind him, but he's still just a man. He doesn't compare to the one who is in your midst today. He's only a man about 50 years old. Jesus Christ is eternal. He's the hope of the world. Our president gives orders. And people try to make those orders stick. Jesus gives his word. And the universe is created out of nothing. There's such a contrast for us. And Jesus gives his word. And crippled legs can walk again. We need to understand something today. Jesus is our hope. Our government is not our hope. And we can wait around and we can make excuses and we can say, I don't have enough help. I don't have enough advantage. Others are ahead of me. Others have more advantage than me. And I'm held back and I'm struggling because I'm just in this situation. We can waller in that or we can have Jesus say, do you want to be made well? Jesus, notice, notice what happens in this. Jesus did not declare to him, I'm healing you. He, often he would announce his healing. He would say, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He would do those kinds of things. But in this case, for this man who just lied, who lay, laid there for 38 years with his excuses, with his reasons why his life wasn't good, for the reasons he gave for his despair, waiting. Jesus looked at him and instead of saying you are healed, he looked at the man in the eyes and he said, rise, get up, get your bed in your hands and start walking. And it was only when the man began to be obedient to the word of the Lord, when he did something that God began to do some amazing things. And the power of God entered into these legs that had not taken a step. For 13,870 days. And suddenly this man grabbed a hold of his belongings standing on strong legs. And he began to walk around with his bed. And I'll tell you what a scene that was. As he carried his bed past the, the other infirmed and the blind and the lame. And he no longer was. He's healed. He's walking out. He's making his way through the crowd. What a what a. An, an amazing scene that must have been. And what a powerful thing it must have been. What imagery that is. When I go to heaven and I have my playback device or my holodeck or whatever, I'm going to watch this one. I want to see this one. But it was so wonderful. It was as if Jesus said to him, if you're serious about your life changing, if you're serious about getting out of your mess, get off of your bed of pity, get off of the ground, Get up off of resigning to your fate. Get up off of waiting for someone to do something to make it happen. Get up off of your depression and do something. And the Lord healed him after all of that time. Here's what I want to suggest to you. Who needs a pull when Jesus is there? Who needs a pull when we have Jesus Christ? I'm not going to a pull. I'm going to wait on Jesus Christ and I'm going to hear him. Finally, let me suggest that Jesus is salvation for the hopeless. Don't you think for a moment that Jesus only touched this man's legs. 
He touched his soul. Because he gave this man a purpose in life. And I love this story. It just kind of makes me laugh. Uh Uh-oh, something good happened to this man and not everybody was happy about it. What a big shock of human nature that is, right? Something good happened and they're not focused on a miracle. They don't see this man who had been crippled and invalid for 38 years rejoicing and carrying his bed. No, he was doing it on the wrong day. It was the Sabbath. He was breaking the law and they got mad. Doesn't that just shock you that people act this way? Sorry, little sarcasm there. I'm just going to tell you really quickly, if you come to Christ and transformation starts happening in your life, don't expect the whole world to stand up and go, yes, that's just awesome. It's not going to happen. People won't applaud you. There will be some who will be right with you and rejoicing with you, but you'll have a whole lot of naysayers in your life. And some people won't believe you if you would stand on your head and somehow give them golden eggs. It wouldn't matter. And that's just human nature. But there's something great and powerful happens here. The Lord of glory delivered this man from his suffering. And instead of rejoicing, they said, you're breaking the law. You did it on a Sunday or actually a Saturday. You broke the law. It's the Sabbath and you can't do this. They wrote him a ticket. <laughs> they wrote him a ticket. So, so this is the thing that we have to understand. Not everyone recognized this as a great thing. Some only saw him as an irrelevant, irreverent person breaking the Sabbath. The man was just being careful to do what Jesus did. Let me tell you something, brothers. If I had been for 38 years lying on my back and somebody walked up and he said, take up your bed and walk, and I was able to do it, I would not care a whit what other people thought of me. I'll tell you what I would do. I'd take my bed, and probably knowing me, I'd try to do handsprings, even at 58 years of age. I'd probably hurt myself again. But I would be so overjoyed. I would be making a noise. I know who I am. I would, woo! I'd be carrying on, carrying my bed. And that's what, I love this story, because when they said, you know, you're breaking the law. Why are you doing it? Oh, the man that made me whole told me to take my bed and walk. I'm doing it. And he just kept going. And, and they said, well, who told you you could do it? He said, well, I don't know. <laughs> he didn't even know who had healed him. Great story. Don't you ever think that God doesn't have a sense of humor. That's why I need my playback device here. This is better than any sitcom anywhere. And I get to see him. Can you see the faces of the people? Like, what do you mean you don't know? What? He made you whole. You don't even know who he is. And, and nope, I don't. Well, as if you read other accounts, when the, the religious leaders of the Jews got worked up, what they would do is they would isolate a person and then they would question them. So he ends up in the temple and I can just see him probably standing there holding his bed, just standing there. And I love this story because Jesus came walking up to him again and he knew, oh, that's the guy that made me whole. But here's how I believe. And why I believe that Jesus was this man's salvation. He walks up to the man. He doesn't talk too much about the healing. He just says, look, you've been made whole. Don't go sinning again. Or you may end up in a worse situation. I think this man probably was an invalid because he did something very stupid. Could have fallen off a roof. He was doing something stupid, simple. And he got himself hurt. And Jesus saved him. He didn't just touch his body. He became his savior that day. 
And Jesus, by the way, didn't say, okay, you can put your bed down. It's the Sabbath. He walked away again. Guy had his bed. I love this story. I love it. It's just such a great story. And listen, I need to wrap this up, but I just want to say something to you. I, I, I want to say this to you. I want to make a couple of assumptions with you. I believe this man became a follower of Jesus and he loved the Lord. And I believe he's in glory today. That's an assumption. I have no idea if it's true. But I just want to think that this man was so radically touched and everything changed. Imagine not being able to make a living. Now he can. Now his body's strong. Now he can do all the things that a man does. And, and when your manhood is taken away for 38 years, I bet you, you appreciate every single day you have it. What an amazing story. What a big God. If this isn't filling your bill for incredible, I don't know what will. I just don't know how to, to describe any more incredible heart for people than this. God is amazing. I want you to hear me. Chances are, sitting right out here among us is somebody who is going through it. And despair might be the word. Despair might kind of fit your circumstances and situation. I want you to hear the word of the Lord today. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? I believe the Lord will do it. If you will just give the nod you will listen to what he tells you to do if you will hear him today. That's his heart. Church, let me also throw this out at us. This story should embolden us to not be afraid to let people know that Jesus is in the midst. Amen? We should tell them about him. We, I want you to look around and notice that there are chairs that don't have people in them. And we should fill this place up over and over again and help them know about Jesus. I'm not talking about making our church big. I'm talking about making the name of Jesus known in this community. And that's our job. We should find ways to do it better. We should find ways to do it more more effectively. We need to do this, people. Candles should be lit every single week because people are being saved. So let's work together to see this goal accomplished for the glory of God. Jesus Christ is in our midst. And he's saying to people in their heart, do you want to be free? You want to be made well? Will you watch this video for me and then I'll come back up and we'll wrap it right up. There's a video coming.
want to be made well. The Lord may be stepping up to somebody here today and um, physically you get around. But spiritually and emotionally, you're an invalid. You're broken. And the Lord may be stepping up to you and looking you in your eyes and saying, do you want to be made well? And I just want to tell you, what he did for that man, he can do and will do for anybody. This is God's heart. It's incredible. It doesn't make sense. It's not because we deserve it. There's nothing that this man did that made him special enough that he deserved anything from God. But God is the God of love and mercy and forgiveness and restoration. And so I speak to you today and I just ask you, are you ready to be made well?